I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. This podcast is brought to you in association with Volkswagen, a proud sponsor of Irish Rugby. Gavin Casey in studio, joined on the line by Murray Kinsler in Japan and joined in studio by Sean Farrell of the 42. How are you, Sean? Yeah, not too bad, Gav. Planet. You sounded Never a little learned. bit more enthusiastic than Ryan Bailey on the members podcast yesterday. Uh, sounds can be deceiving, but you know, we'll get there. <laughs> Murray, uh, how are you doing since yesterday? How are you getting on? Yeah, great. Just arrived into Fukuoka, got the train down um, after the kind of last press conference in Kobe this morning. Um, that was busy enough and then kind of scrambled across town and jumped on the train and just arrived in literally the last couple of minutes to the new Airbnb was stress-free this time around, so <laughs> all good on that front. Um, and the city seems lovely on very, very first impression. Um, it's a pretty big city and they have a big fan zone there at this Hakata train station. So I imagine some of the fans will be enjoying that um, next weekend because we have a bit of a break now, a nine-day turnaround. So I think everyone's looking forward to a couple of days off. The players certainly are. And um, there's obviously some brilliant rugby on still this weekend to look forward to. So all in all, probably well-timed for, for Ireland. Do you have a couple of days off yourself, Murray? Uh, well, they actually did the kind of double media today. So they did essentially two press conferences, one so that we have stuff to use over the next couple of days. Um, yeah, we'll try and take a bit of a breather as well. And it'll be good for everyone to kind of be away from each other in terms of media and, and players as well. And um, yeah, looking forward to a little bit of a kind of lull before we get back into it with the Samoa match from kind of Monday onwards, building up as a regular week would. And again, Joe Schmidt is happy about that, having had the, the five-day turnaround for Russia. Yeah, we heard your thoughts on the game and we'll get more of them in a while. But Shawnee, we didn't hear from you yesterday. Put a positive spin on it, will you, please? I suppose the big positive, Gav, is that it's not actually 2007. It just feels an awful lot like it. <laughs> Uh, we don't have to go through a financial crash anymore. Well, we'll uh, see. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, that That's about the, the big positive we can take away, isn't it? And no, really, barring another disaster, which is not impossible, uh, it looks like we'll be in a quarterfinal. An unlikely series of, of results would take us out of there. And I think we've talked before about how inconsistent this Ireland team is and there's still every possibility that they could give a right rattle at uh, at the All Blacks or South Africa, whoever they end up facing. That's that we're left hanging on to that as a positive is uh, not a great um, sign of, of how far Ireland has, have come on this uh, horrendous World Cup journey. Where do you think it? Uh, I mean, it's a diff- like this is a weird question when you're talking about a 35 nil victory, um, bonus point, job done, all of that kind of stuff, but. What went wrong? <laughs> oh, went wrong. Was at, even that opening try felt a little, there was something a little bit off about it. The fact that it was such an old move, it was such a tried and trusted move. This might sound like revisionist history, but going back to that as your go-to play 90 seconds in, it, it struck me as a little bit of panic even. And although it's perfectly executed and, and ends in a try, and that seems to have gotten us up, up off to a flyer. 
everything just it, it never kicked on from that it never that never acted as a, as a catalyst for for everything to fall in behind okay at least that works now everything can can work on the back of that and then you see a few minutes after that there was a high ball into the 22 rob carney and andrew conway standing under it two of the best guys we have on under a high high ball and they end up leaving it for each other and i think as murray alluded to yesterday it's just this absence of confidence throughout the squad and when you see two guys as good under a high ball as Carney and Conway are just leaving it for each other and deferring to one another and letting it bounce in their own 22 I think that just that just tells a story in and of itself and then that feeds into you know the resource and the rook issues they <laughs> there was just a lack of energy in in every facet of the game whether it was supporting the guy who who did make a cut um, all, all the errors that just amounted to death by a thousand cuts I suppose Yeah we spoke about it yesterday Murray how Joe Schmidt and the players are obviously going to try and um, control the narrative to a certain extent and try to uh, suppress some of the feeling of doom and gloom back here as well but um, what were they like at the press conference this morning I think Rory Best was sort of making the point that they would have expected to have been in a better place after three games which is maybe the most negative thing you're going to get out of them at this stage. Yeah, it was definitely a different tone from Rory Best. He spoke really well. The live quotes are, are there in the 42 if people want to have a look. Um, he said exactly that. Yeah, we, we didn't expect, we expected to have th- th- three wins and and be more in control of our, our destiny. He was more honest, certainly, than last night and wasn't quite putting that positive spin on it. Um, and there's more of that stuff. There's there's a kind of embargoed stuff to come tomorrow where he kind of expands on it a little bit more even. And he, I, I thought he spoke really well and was a li- just a little bit more honest in, in saying, listen, we're not there. He wasn't certainly panicking. He, he kind of pointed out to little bits they can improve on, how they need to nail the basics because those basic things that made them so good are, are what they're getting just slightly off at the moment. And, and it's all kind of compounding on top of each other. He spoke about how uh, one error is kind of turning into another mm. and another. They're they're not responding well to little mini setbacks. They've always pride themselves on on living moment to moment in games and and winning each of those moments as they go and and winning kind of eighty one minute sections of a game and, and turning that into success. Um, they're not doing that at the moment. They're they're kind of compounding things on, on top of themselves. And while they may not seem like massive moments at the time, when when you add them all up, it, it, it turns into what has been two two poor performances and a couple other perform, poor performances this year. Um, so yeah, he wasn't quite negative about where Andar. He said they're absolutely still very assured of what we're capable of and how we get there. Um, and and he pointed out again that, as Sean said, they're they're on course for a quarter final. So it's it's certainly not all all doom and gloom. Um, and certainly sensing that from some of the fans, they're they're kind of maybe frustrated at some of the reporting around this, but like we got a call as we see it and it was two poor performances in a row and we're not Ireland fans, we're, we're journalists and we're there to report on, on what we see um, as impartially as we as we can. So yeah, we're not trying to be overly negative, but there's a lot in it. There, you know, I watched the game back there on, on the train down um, and it's just, I was going to say uncharacteristic, but some of this stuff is kind of becoming a little bit characteristic, the errors they're making. Um, Shawnee mentioned the, the first kick there. The Russians applied a lot more pressure with the kicking game than Ireland did, which is so strange to say um, for the 20th ranked team in the world with their their second choice out half, let's remember. Um, they, they made nine changes. They were missing some frontline guys 
Uh, and Guy San was, you know, very much back up in this squad at out half, but he applied real pressure on to, to Carney. With that first kick, you know, Rob Carney comes and claims that 99 out of 100 times, but for some reason he just hesitates there. Himself and Conway get their wires crossed and suddenly he's been kind of tackled into touch as he kicks. The Russians have a five-meter line out. I think they botched that one and Ireland get a real let off. You think of later on in the, in the half where, where Carney gathers one of those bombs in backfield, um, and the Russians kind of counter ruck and turn Ireland over. Like a, a good team turns that into a try as well. In that case, it was kind of strange. Keith Earls and Luke McGrath are in the vicinity, but they stand off away from the, the tackle point, um, almost looking for, for Carney to play the ball immediately and there's no one there to resource and, and there's a turnover. So that kind of stuff is very, very fixable, obviously. And it's more than within Ireland's grasp to fix that stuff. Um but it's just, it's just a little bit off at the moment. Again, the breakdown, Shawnee mentioned that. There were two turnovers for Davidov, the winger, who's really combative, but Ireland will be really disappointed with how they manage those. Um, and Tagir Gadjev, who was superb in the number seven shirt uh, and also had an amazing hat in the mix zone afterwards. I, I'm not sure if people have seen a photo of this, but he's quite the character. He was brilliant, but he had a turnover penalty as well. Again, where Ireland will just be disappointed. I think it was Ty Byrne, uh, running the support line, he almost is looking for an offload and then he's just slightly behind. I think Ireland will be frustrated with Gadjev's body position maybe and, and whether he's on his feet, but um, he certainly put himself in there to to steal that and Russia nearly got three points off that. They'll be disappointed. Like There's a positive for Ireland. The defence was excellent. Like You really probably shouldn't be troubled by that Russian team too much, but their defence has been good so far in this in this competition largely. Um, and there are other building blocks there that if they can just nail them and be more consistent in each area and, it, you know, you're never going to get perfection. You're never going to turn every line break into a try, but um, they're just slightly off where they need to be. And if they can start winning more of those moments again, then they'll feel that flood of confidence again. Yeah. Um, do you go along with the suggestion, Sean, that actually our outside backs in particular look pretty decent? Like they look to actually have their act together to a certain extent and that it's our forwards are a little bit below par. And obviously, if your forwards are below par, then your backs are going to suffer in turn. Yeah, especially in that in that last quarter when we've seen Jordan Armour come on and, and uh, have a cut, I suppose, when, when really Russia were out on their feet probably and, and there was a little bit more space to play with. But in general, yeah, Gary Ringrose, I think, is having a phenomenal tournament. Shows no signs of uh, slowing down despite playing... Uh, as much as he has to, um, yeah, the forward pack, it's just, it's, it goes back to these mountain compounding errors and yeah, it goes back to the ruck. I mean, Joe Schmidt has always based every team he, he's built around the ruck and ruck efficiencies and these two second rucks. And when you have guys looking as hesitant as Ireland's, you just have to say the back five, the second rows and back rows, they, they look hesitant to enter in the ruck and they're not quite sure where, where that point of impact is going to be. And they're almost waiting around to, to see what happens next rather than, I suppose, forcing the issue. And then they rely so much on, on that pack as well. I mean, the 2018 was, was, built, was built around that pack, built around the tight five and how relentless they are in carrying and getting over the gain line and no matter how many phases it takes they'll, they'll get there but against Russia you would like to see them not rely on that and not go and say right let's see if we can push Russia over the line and uh, completely ignore 
the space and the width and any bit of invention we might have to reveal before the quarterfinals come um, for fear that someone might figure us out at a later stage. Yeah, because we're fairly easy to figure out at the moment, Murray, like 50 carries by forwards in the first half alone. And you just think of like CJ Stander carried the ball quite well. He actually looks like the Stander of old, but just the complete lack of vision or peripheral vision um, <laughs> in not even looking for a pass when he would he basically a gimme on. Uh, it's just uh, a little bit one dimensional, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's funny you say that about Stander. The, the best passage of the entire game for Ireland's attack came just after half time. I would imagine they went in and said, right, let's let's open this up a little bit. They did try to play a little bit more expansively at times. And this passage I'm talking about is the one where Ringrose ends up breaking into the 22 off Dave Kilcoyne's pass. I'm sure people remember it. Ireland get within five metres. And then I think it is Davidov's first turnover uh, where Carty just maybe doesn't fight on the ground. And again, that arrival is a little bit delayed and he gets a, a clean turnover. But if you wind back and think about where that passage started, it was deep in Ireland's half. Um, and they start off from the left-hand side uh, touchline. And Stander makes a link pass out the back, nicely out the back of Kilcoyne to Carty. He ships it on to Ruddock, who passes as well. Ringrose goes up the right. There's a 20-metre gain. They come off the touchline. Stander's back on the ball. He makes a second link pass to Carty, who darts into midfield to a scattered defence, and he offloads from there. Um, and now they shift the ball to wide to the left. They come into midfield. There's a dart from Luke McGrath. That's variety. Uh, and then they ship the ball onto Kilcoyne, who who draws and passes to send Ringrose into space. Now the the Russian tight head does really really well to to keep pace with him. He's a quite a, quite the athlete actually. Um, but Ireland's attack in that instance was superb, really. And and I know it's listen. Everything's in the light of Russia's defense maybe getting disorganized when they when they take them through phases, but. That was almost a, a template for Ireland, a, a blueprint really for them to attack and they show they can do that. But it wasn't consistent and at times they did revert to that grind and, and back themselves to overpower the Russians physically. And uh, yeah, I can understand that. But then you've got to do that game well. I, I don't always go along with this conception really that Ireland, all this in Ireland are playing miserable rugby. Like personally, I think different styles make the game enjoyable for me. That's my personal viewpoint. And I think if Ireland's style is rigid and structured um, and carry-based, and that's okay, that's 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 their style. But if you're going to do that, you need to do that with technical quality, real focus. And and you think about some of the carries, and they, and they were static, that's the word. Ball carriers standing still, waiting for the ball to arrive, getting it under pressure, no footwork, um, Sometimes even forcing on a tip pass when it's not really on. You, you know, that tip pass we saw with Japan, you use that when your momentum is moving you forward, where the defenders have a tough decision to make, and then you go from there. The good carries in this game, like most of them, I would say, came from Reese Ruddock. He had 11 carries for 48 metres, and obviously that big line break in the second half uh, accentuated that total of metres made, but he was working hard to come onto the ball. Even there, there was a couple instances watching it back where... He's getting into position. He's maybe there slightly early and he actually just takes a couple of steps backwards to give himself time to come onto the ball. James Ryan does it really well as well. He's he's so clever in how he times his run around the corner, actually slowing himself down a little bit to arrive with a bit of punch onto the ball. Uh, Ruddock as well had a bit of footwork, I thought, as well. And, and Byrne did that on a couple of instances as well, but it wasn't consistent, uh, like we said with several other parts of the game. It wasn't consistently done well, so... I can understand, look, that's Ireland's philosophy and they ain't going to mix it up wildly in this in this competition. You can't, you can't just do that mid-World Cup, but 
when they do revert to that, it's got to be done well and that rocking has got to be absolutely ruthless. Japan did a job on them in that sense, clearing deep, uh, opening up the back of the, the rock for for quick ball from their scrum halves who are good passers. Um, and Ireland are well capable of doing that, but it, again, it's just not a consistent thing. I was encouraged by that little passage. I do I do think the set-piece attack was good in some instances. That first try was an excellent try. Uh, they absolutely nailed the detail around carrying around the corner, two carries, people being in the right rock. Then I think it's Klein um, closing off the right-hand edge of the rock. John Ryan's up in front of the ball. O'Mahony is tying down a defender as well. And fair play to Jordy Murphy, who's only in, in camp a couple of days. He absolutely nails his role. Carney's timing is, is superb. And then he finishes, even though he had plenty of support and maybe against a, a better uh, backfield defence, he would have had to use that. There was another one in the second half where they'd been trying to set it up all, all day where Stander bounces off the back of a dummy mall. Conway was at the front of the line out to start with and he kind of comes into that space. They did it against France with Earls, obviously. That inside pass on the edge of the mall. Um, and then Conway offloads back to Stander. I personally thought he should have passed at that point. He boshes over uh, Simplekovic, I think, the the left wing, um, and then offloads to, to Cronin. But maybe earlier passing, they could have scored there. I think they butchered that one. That was Ian Henderson's knock-on over the over the try line as well. So there was some good stuff in their, in their attack and it's just a, a matter of applying that with consistency in the carry and then being clever with their decision-making around those times when they do look to the width and they do try and push people like Stander and Furlong and Burr and other guys who who can actually pass the ball if they're, if they're in the right position and, and they're there early as well. Murray, you've mentioned like that Rob Carney try, what was it? 70 seconds in whatever and then you mentioned the uh, the best passage of play in the game er, came early in the second half I mean that suggests that Ireland are starting well they're definitely starting first half as well two tries in each of the three first quarters so far and then they, they tail off after that I mean, why do you see that that is that they're tailing off is it purely getting gassed early fatigue humidity or is it something else <sighs> To be honest, I don't I don't know the answer to that. Um, I think we can theorise around it and um, possibly that mental side of the game and, and, and staying focused in on, on nailing each little bit when they get ahead. It certainly felt like the case in the Japan game. I think Rory Best alluded to this. They get 12-3 up and, and they probably, I don't know, is complacency the right word, but they probably feel like, oh yeah, we're, we're cruising here now. We're, we're really well up in this game and, and things are going to go well from here and certainly when we when we spoke to them in hindsight about the Six Nations Rory Best again he, like I always find him honest he felt there was a little bit of that a little bit of complacency and and a sense that once they got on top of teams or once they got into a good position um, that they were just easing off and, and letting up on themselves a little bit in terms of their relentless demands uh, on themselves so yeah I, I think Schmidt will be furiously working to figure that out or to figure ways they can better manage it if if they do make that strong start and, and then taking a bit of sting out of the opposition, maybe using their kicking and pressure game a little bit more smartly in those instances. Um, but like they did, like the first half they were, I know it was frustrating and there were errors and even the mall, I look at that and there were two instances where the, the back of the mall gets detached from the front. One gives up a penalty five metres out and the other one, the Russians were able to stop them. That's kind of inter spurst with, with the three tries they, they built into half time and then Sexton goes off and, and the third quarter was 
probably the poorest 20 minutes under Joe Schmidt, was it? It was it was really, really air-strewn and really concerning at the time. And even looking back, there's just so much bad stuff in it. Um, so yeah, they'll de- you're, you're right though. They'll, they'll be working on, if they get that good start, being solid in the next 20. What's the latest on the injury front then, Murray, uh, in relation to Jordy Murphy and Sexton and also I think Rob Carney had a knock as well? So they said that Sexton was... It was always planned that he was going to come off at half time. That's their, that's what they're saying. I haven't heard anything to the contrary, to be honest. So, um, like you'd imagine, there is still if he has a quad issue only last week, they're probably still managing him right through that. Rob Carney had a bit of tightness in the groin. It doesn't sound like he's going to be too bad. Jordy Murphy was supposed to get a scan last night after the game. He then got he came into the dressing room and he got randomly selected for one of the anti-doping tests. Unfortunately for him, so he went in to the to the testing room and like it's so tough after the matches they're so dehydrated even though he only played 26 in that humidity you sweat so much so it obviously takes a while until you can uh, urinate and then you don't want to drink too much water because if you do that you're you're diluted kind of um your test has to be done again so he was kind of stalling there waiting and then by the time he got out the place for the scan was bloody closed and they couldn't do it so he's doing that today um, it's still a, a doubt whether he's going to feature again. It looked like he he popped that rib, and that's usually a, a matter of weeks. Um, so I would imagine Tommy O'Donnell, Devin Toner, guys like that are standing by potentially based on, on whatever Schmidt's going to do with his squad. Um, so yeah, that's not a great one to to get so soon after him arriving over. And Carberry, no update really. They just kind of there was a very vague answer about him again. They're kind of waiting to see, but. You'd really worry about that one, to be honest. A, a reoccurrence or aggravation or or irritation, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's not good that that ankle is still at him nearly eight weeks after the fact. Yeah, if Jordy doesn't quite make it, if it was a popped rib, Sean, um, which way would you be leaning in terms of uh, replacement? Like, could it be the greatest redemption of all time for Devin Toner? Or would you look to... I suppose, replicate what Jordy brings to the table, um, just a little bit more ballast. Yeah, no, I, I think it has to be an open side, doesn't it? It has to be a, or a, or a loose, a, a loose forward, as loose they say. Forward, yeah. Um, yeah, Devin just is, for the reasons he was left out, um, and also he is so rigid in, in one position. I think at this stage, they need a, an extra back row, someone more mobile to, to really get there in time to, to play Samoa is, is what they need now. Tommy O'Donnell and Jack O'Donoghue are down in South Africa. I think um, another option for that slot would be Sean Reedy, who's down in South Africa with Ulster as well. So really, you're looking at a, a long haul flight. For, I'm not sure how much longer it is actually coming from South Africa than it is from Ireland. It's probably much the same. But uh, yeah, I think Tommy O'Donnell definitely fits the bill. Um, he he was also the the only man, the only back row left that was actually in the forty four man squad. So um, yeah, I think he fits the bill on a number of instances. And listen, Tommy's a terrific athlete, terrific player, and uh, yeah, thoroughly would deserve his place uh, in maybe deserve to be a little bit higher up the pecking order even. But uh, yeah, deserves a, a shot at a World Cup if if that comes to pass. Would it be O'Donnell as well for you, Murray, or which way would you be leaning? Yeah. Probably would be leaning that way, although you'd, you'd wonder would he actually even end up playing if he comes out. Um, you know, because obviously the small game, they probably are going to go with their stronger team just to make sure they get that bonus point and um, potentially come off the bench there if, if he does come out. I can't, I can't see 
Joe Schmidt completely changing his mind and Devin Toner bringing him in and giving him a start either, to be honest. Although, um, you know, you still wonder about that decision, like not to go back on it too much. You, you do wonder about it. He was such an integral part of it all. Um, so, yeah, for me, I'd probably go just like for like and get a back row in there, even though Tommy O'Donnell's not exactly the same player. But just to have cover in the event of any emergency there, he does have the, the four locks over here. So he's well covered in that regard. Um, and he can always play Tyburn in the back row if, if if they need to do so off the bench even. So O'Donnell probably makes the most sense having been in the camp all preseason as well. To briefly absolutely go back over that decision <laughs> though, Murray, <laughs> how do you think the Irish line-out has been functioning in Toner's absence? Yeah, it's been like largely good, but the, the losses, as we, as we discussed, have been costly. The, the two, obviously, they only lost two against Japan, but they were decisive moments in the game whether it happens if Devin Toner's there I don't know the first one was an overthrow completely over the top of the line out and even with Devin Toner's height I don't think he would have caught it and the second one was maybe a calling error but yeah it's impossible to say if they, if they would have lost or won more based on his quality you would say the line out would have been in, in pretty good nick and I think the fact that Henderson and Ryan have been so good um, largely I think they've been really good as the, the starting pair Um not completely flawless in terms of Henderson's calling there and we mentioned that example but Ryan's been excellent again and, and they do look like a, a complementary pairing um, we haven't probably seen too much from Jean Klein like obviously he only played in, in that Russia game he, he didn't feature before then um, and he did the nuts and bolts but not a whole lot beyond that and certainly didn't stand out dominant as a dominant figure physically against a a team who have some players who are playing like in, in Russian club rugby and, and wouldn't be at the, the highest level of the game, certainly. So it wasn't a dominant performance, even if he did the little gritty bits around the pitch. Um, Ty Byrne's been an, a, a, a kind of wild card almost for him as well. So his place has, hasn't really been in question. So yeah, you do wonder if, if Devin Toner was here, would things have gone a little bit differently and would they have been a bit more reliable and consistent and even his calm level head and his experience and leadership and in those moments where they maybe are just dipping away and, and doubting themselves. Um, it's impossible to say with any certainty, but it might have been useful. That personality trait is, is something I can't help wonder about, whether it's the wisdom of hindsight or, or what. But the fact that Devon was in, he was in every squad, in every team almost since, since Joe Schmidt took over and then suddenly suddenly he's gone. He's not, not in the environment at all. And as you say, Murray, he's... He's obviously a larger than life figure uh, in in literal terms, but very calm, understated man, a, a quiet voice, and and you wonder maybe is are Ireland missing something intangible there? Just a an intangible um, voice in the background that's maybe not always at the front of the room, but but kind of giving guys a, a steer here and there. And in effect, he's 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 always been an extra line-out coach and, and a forwards coach as well and kind of uh, steering the ship from 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 his own point of view. In the back row then, Murray, um, and you alluded to the fact that Reese Ruddock was very impressive, uh, if not flawless either. Do you think Peter Romani's position in that sort of team of frontliners, like a first 15, is under threat? You kind of mentioned on the members podcast yesterday that you felt it was uh, the latest in a series of you know, poor enough displays, essentially. Um, what what do you make of that uh, situation? Yeah, I thought Roddick did everything he possibly could have to to put his hand up for another start. And his physical impact was 
really obvious to see and his work rate and his energy as well was was one of the key things. He is a, a big leader as well, to be fair. I know Peter Manny is vice captain of the squad, but Ruddock offers you that as well. It could also be the case that Omani wears a seven shirt and, and Ruddock comes in and they play together and Van der Fleer comes off the bench and, and adds his real energy and mobility and and that balance works out well. Looking back at this game, Omani had some really good moments. You know, it's, it, you don't always appreciate it fully when you're there live. Even at the end, the, the line-out steal, I had my head buried in my laptop trying to get a report out, so I actually missed that. He had a lovely line-out steal. Just to underline his quality in that area, he is such a good option. He had a couple of turnovers early in the game where Ireland didn't fully capitalise. Uh, I think one of them was a four pass after he, after he strips it out. And the other one was the penalty call. It was a, I think it was an assistant ref call. It looked a little bit harsh. The ball looked to be out of the ruck and, and he goes forward and... Uh, disrupts the scrum half and the ball goes loose again so I think he was a bit harshly done there um, there was the, the penalty for contact in the air some referees probably ignored that but it will be fr- frustrating for Joe Schmidt in an otherwise pretty disciplined performance that they give one away in, in that area of the pitch where you can really pressure Russia um, Omani obviously got his try but Sexton had done the work really in that regard with a lovely lovely little kick in behind um, so yeah he wasn't faultless early but there was little bits and pieces there that, that just underlined his quality and as I said he's the vice captain along with Sexton so it would be a big big decision for Schmidt to drop one of those guys and it certainly doesn't look like he's ever really been the coach to do that when, when someone's established in a position um, they've earned that right and in his eyes and he, he's got a lot of trust in those key leaders so maybe the, the balance of the back row shifts slightly or um, the composition of who sits on the bench and comes off um, because Omani's now worn the seven jersey twice in this kind of in this season really he did it in Cardiff and, and now he's done it again so clearly it is in, in Schmidt's thinking that he's another option alongside Van der Fleer who also had to be fair to him had some uh, big moments in that Japan game that track back to prevent a try was really exceptional um, he didn't quite manage to stand out as much as he might have liked or or win big collisions but that's not really his game he's a, he's a kind of um, unfussy player around the pitch who works really hard so there is a decision there to be made and I, I think it's a good decision a good uh, one to weigh up because someone has put their hand up in, in the manner Reese Rodak has yes it's against Russia um, not a not a tier one nation but he is physically capable of excelling against the likes of the box and if you're going to go toe to toe with them in a very confrontational game his skill set may be very useful. Yeah, uh, obviously we have to see if uh, it is the box or the All Blacks, but I was going to actually ask you about the All Blacks, uh, just given that they played a couple of days ago against Canada, the boxer up today against Italy. Um, probably difficult, again, to read too much into a game against Canada. They look like they're probably the poorest team in the tournament. And I know Bernard Jackman on this podcast <laughs> predicted that they would struggle, to put it lightly, a few weeks ago. But Sean, what was what was your impression of um, New Zealand's performance? And uh, can we, t- I mean, can we take anything out of it at all, really, or was it just what you'd expect? Yeah, I think you can compare it to Ireland in a way. Let's not do that. I Sean. mean, we were comparing Ireland to New Zealand last November, so I think we can still they're they're still the benchmark there. Who we have to, yeah, <laughs> to use the word again, benchmark against. Uh, I mean, there if you're playing a, a week tier two, tier three nation, you know, you, you have to put the hammer down you ha- and you have to put them away no matter what conditions like. And and we've seen the 
very same conditions that New Zealand were playing under, horrible, humid, wet, slippery. Uh, even Bowden Barrett was was guilty of, of spilling the ball with the try line begging. But they still have a shape, they still have a sense of coherence about their attack that, that they can, yeah, that allows them to run riot and, and push weaker teams away. Like, we don't want to get into GA parlance where we're calling them so-called weaker nations. They are far weaker nations and you should be doing what the All Blacks did, uh, putting them away by a variety of game plans. You know, they, they bashed through the middle, they went wide, they they showed they showed everything they had to and they're uh, well on course to, to top that group and uh, pick off whoever comes out of uh, Pool A. <laughs> it was the variety that was probably most impressive, Murray, wasn't it? Just that uh, the way they, make, they can mix it up and just in that performance scoring so many different types of tries. Yeah, absolutely. And very much a continuation of what they've done. And I think it's probably overlooked at times because they score beautiful transition tries and really skillful uh, turnover scores and and that kind of style we saw against the box where they just uh, blitz them in a, in a five-minute spell. They're also very confrontational at times and, and they do look to bully uh, and they mix up beautifully and you know, their set piece is just superb. Things like their mall defences is excellent. So they're certainly not weak in, in any particular area. Um, it is interesting they've mixed it up. And the the key point in their latest starting team for the Namibia game is that Brody Retallick is back. He's he's going to play. And that's just a massive boost for them coming into the knockout stage. He's one of the best, very best players in the world. Uh, returning to the, to the mix, it'll be interesting to see how quickly he gets back up to speed. But he's got a bit of time to to get himself ready for a quarterfinal. And that is that is even perfectly timed for, for the All Blacks before they go into that big game. So they're looking pretty rosy. They obviously struggled in the humidity as well. They had a lot of handling errors, really uncharacteristic. But as Sean mentions, they got over that. Um, I think it was even more humid actually down there in Oita. It was 90%, I think someone was telling me. So <laughs> very, very difficult. And that is, that is one of the challenges of Japan. And Joe Schmidt mentioned his hope that um, the, the chat that, it cools down in October is going to prove true because he can't wait for the the heat to decline and the humidity to maybe recede a bit and um, the conditions to suit Ireland a little bit more. I know he's kind of um, obsessing over that a little bit, but it certainly has been a factor in this World Cup so far. I think the quality has been affected at times and some games have, have been poor spectacles. So I think everyone will probably look forward to maybe the humidity dropping away. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to see if it does cool down and if our... Uh expectations uh, <laughs> can be heat up. he can be heated up a little bit over the next couple of weeks uh, Murray we leave you go thanks a million for that cheers guys chat to you soon thanks Murray Shawnee thanks a million thanks Gav and thanks to you at home as well this podcast was brought to you by Volkswagen a proud sponsor of Irish Rugby uh, we'll be back with uh, members podcasts the 42 Rugby Weekly again early next week and we'll be back with our normal podcast as well then until then have a good weekend and take it easy i don't think we've met before but i'm the referee on this field if you're working as an accountant and you lose your job nobody really notices leinster could have me five million a year i wouldn't go Robbie <laughs> Robbie weekly